right. Well, please open with me in God's word to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis 16, as we continue this sermon series through the life of Father Abraham. And while you're turning there, I wonder how impatient of a person are you? How impatient of a person are you? I think we all struggle with impatience in various ways. We really are an impatient people and live in an impatient country. Several years ago, there was a news report put out by NPR with the title, Impatient Nation. I can't wait for you to read this. And in the beginning of the article, it reads, In the past few decades, we have become the impatient nation. We want quick answers to complex problems, the economy, diseases, personal relations. We speed date. Eat fast food, use the self-checkout lines in grocery stores, try the one-weekend diet, pay extra for overnight shipping, honk when the light turns green, thrive or dive on quarterly earnings reports, speak in half sentences, start things but don't fin. And look, if we're being honest with one another, how impatient are we being in the midst of a pandemic? That we're all living in right now. Now, impatience can be good and helpful, but is usually wrong and even dangerous. And in this chapter of Scripture, we have an example of what happens when someone becomes impatient with God. So let us read then Genesis 16 this morning. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's friend, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. 
and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now, before we continue, let us again go before our great Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, We need to hear from your word this morning. As those who have gone through this week, facing different situations, possibly challenging circumstances, living through these difficult days, you feed and nourish our souls the preaching of your word. And so even though we are not able to gather, we pray that you'll remove the awkwardness of this use of technology so that you will still speak to us this morning through your Holy Spirit. And that your spirit will be at work in each and every one of our hearts and lives. So we will see through this passage of scripture. The beauty and glory. Of Jesus Christ our Savior. Father I pray you will be with me. That you will use me as. Your messenger, bringing your word to your people so that sinners will be saved this morning and that the saints who are watching will rejoice in the salvation they have received by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ. Father, we pray all these things in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Well, where did this impatience with God lead? And what can we learn from Abraham and Sarai's patience? Or as they are still called here, Abram and Sarai. To find answers, we begin first with the misplaced trust we read of in verses 1 to 6. And then we move on to the merciful grace we read of in verses 7 to 16. So misplaced trust, verses 1 to 6, and then merciful grace, verses 7 to 16. Let's begin then in the first six verses by reading and reminding ourselves of this misplaced trust. Of course, as Genesis began, we all remember God creating the world and everything in it. 
And then he creates mankind to rule and reign in this world. But our first parents rebelled against God in sin by disobeying God. And this brought death and corruption into this world. God, in the midst of his curses, though, gives a great and glorious promise to us. Because he promises salvation from the judgment of wrath that we deserve for our sin. Which is why God calls out from a sinful country and people and family, Abraham or Abram, to then continue this promise of salvation. So as we come then to chapter 15, God makes a guaranteed commitment to Abram by covenant. And he promises him both descendants and a land through which God's salvation will come to the nations. And in Genesis 15, verse 6, we read of Abraham's response to these covenant promises. That great verse that we read, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abram believed in God. He trusted in God's promises through which salvation would come. And God saw his faith. And God declared Abraham righteous. He gave Abraham the righteousness that Abraham did not have in sin. Because of Abraham's faith in God's promises that would bring salvation to Abraham and to all who believe. But now we're in chapter 16. And what do we see of Abram's faith? Well, it quickly fails. After God's promise that he would have many children, as many children as the stars in the sky, Abram's wife remains barren. Now remember, by this time, Sarai was around 75 years old. So it's possible and even likely that at this time her menopause had began. Which would then further explain the dilemma they faced. Having children now seemed impossible for Abram and Sarai. Let's then hear that Sarai has an idea. That while God promised Abram children. Maybe she's not the birth mother. Now. You may remember back in Genesis chapter 12. Abram and Sarai left the promised land and went down into Egypt. And in verse 16, we read of the great king or pharaoh of Egypt giving Abram sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. We find one of these female servants from Egypt who served Hagar, or who served Sarai. Her name was Hagar. 
And she served Abram's wife, Sarai, in her homemaking responsibilities. So as Sarai looks at this Egyptian servant, she realizes, well, here's a new way that she can serve me. By having my children. So I, after she recognizes God's providence in keeping her from having children, this seems to be the best solution. Now, this may seem strange to us. After all, for those we know who struggle to have children, we don't immediately think they should find another woman to have children for them. But giving a maidservant as a concubine to serve as a surrogate mother was a very common practice in the ancient world and in Canaan where Abram and Sarai lived. So Sarai, after coming up with this idea, goes and shares it with Abram. And when she does, what should Abram have done? Well, he should have prayed, right? She should have said, God, you have given this promise, and yet now it seems impossible. How should we live? What should we do? Abram should have trusted that if God gave them this promise of salvation, then he would keep his promise without this creative workaround solution that they have come up with. But of course, this isn't what Abraham does, right? He agrees with Sarai. Maybe God wants us to do this. Maybe God needs a little help here or support. Maybe he's calling us to be involved so that this promise will continue and be carried out. And as we see Abram making this decision as Abram's faith fails here. What do we see about our own faith in God? We still struggle with sin, don't we? And we will fail too. Because our faith is not perfect. And this is why God's promise of salvation does not depend on us. <laughs> Because as much as God's promise of salvation does depend on us, it will fail. It will not come to pass. It will not be fulfilled. Because we are not the ones through which God's promise can be carried out and we can be relied on to continue his salvation promise from coming to be Adam or Abraham here reveals that we are incapable of accomplishing our own salvation. It must be accomplished then by God alone. So I don't know if you picked up on this, but in these verses, we see the original sin of the Garden of Eden repeated. Notice in verse 3, Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land 
of Canaan. Listen, as Eve took the fruit of the forbidden tree and gave it to Adam, here Sarai took her servant Sagar, or Hagar and gave her to Abram. Do you see the connection here that Moses is making? Sarai took and gave Hagar to Abram to be his wife. Then, which also shows this sin continuing. Back in Genesis chapter 4, we read of how polygamy began, where Lamech takes for himself two wives in sin. And now Abram, we find, this called out, chosen man of God, commits the same sin. So we go on to see here that just as Adam sinned by eating what he was given, now Abram sins by marrying who he was given. Again, we see this through the wording. Back in Genesis 3, 17, God said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Again, look at the end of verse 2. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Abram is now following in the footsteps of Adam. And Adam's sin. But before judging Abram too quickly, don't miss how long they've been waiting. Verse 3 says they had been waiting 10 years. Stop to think about that for a moment. Ten years. What were you doing ten years ago? I would assume a lot of things have changed in your life over the past ten years. Possibly where you go to school or where you work. Possibly where you live. So imagine God telling you something would happen in your life. And yet 10 years later, nothing has changed. You see, we all fight with impatience. And we don't like to wait. So what happens is over time, as we wait, this can lead to questions. And even doubting God and the truthfulness of his word. How long would it take for us? I suspect, at least for me, it wouldn't be close to anywhere before 10 years before I would become impatient and start seeking a solution. Well, after 10 long years, Abram and Sarai come to the point where they decide to rely on themselves to have children. So Abram marries Hagar, and with Hagar as his wife, he comes together with her, and she becomes pregnant. Now, at this point in the story, their plan seems to have worked, right? Abram and Sarai will finally have a child. It looks as if God has rewarded their efforts. With his blessing. But that's not what happened. And we see the result of their sin 
beginning to manifest itself in the relationship between Hagar and Sarai. In verse 4, we see that after Hagar conceived, that her mistress became despised in her eyes. And this word despised literally means cursed. Hagar cursed Sarai for her becoming pregnant because she believed that she was the better wife of Abram. And this is exactly what God later warns his people about in the book of Proverbs. You can turn with me there if you'd like. Proverbs chapter 30, verses, 31 to, or verses 23, uh, 21 to 23 because Hagar's attitude of arrogance here towards Sarai is an example of what God warns of in these verses. Here in these Proverbs we read, For three things the earth is perturbed. Yes, for four it cannot bear up. For a servant when he reigns, a fool when he is filled with food, a hateful woman when she is married, and a maidservant who succeeds her mistress exactly what we see here as a maidservant who is seeking to succeed her mistress. Which is why Sarai then goes and complains to Abram, her husband. And again, think back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. What happens? Like Eve blames Adam when their sin is exposed, so now Sarai blames Abram. And she even wrongly calls for God's judgment against him. But how does Abram respond back in Genesis 16? Does he defend and protect his marriage? No. Like Adam, he neglects his responsibility as husband. And so he tells Sarai that she can handle the problem. Well, since Hagar despised Sarai, now we see what Sarah does when she deals harshly with Hagar. Sarai returns sin for sin. She goes from being victimized to being the victimizer and mistreats Hagar to where Hagar can't take it anymore and runs away. She flees to head back to her home in Egypt. And as she does so, by cursing Sarai and fleeing her presence, Hagar removes herself from Abram and from God's blessings to Abram and his family through sin. See how the sin multiplies as this chapter continues. But how often does this take place in our lives where we wait and our prayers continue to go unanswered day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And so we begin to rationalize our sin. And disobey God's word. 
because of our impatience. We come to the point where we decide we must rely on ourselves rather than rely on God. When this happens, brothers and sisters, we must repent of our sins by confessing them to God and asking for his forgiveness. How often we sin out of impatience, which turns us to not trust in God, but to trust in ourselves. We then need to turn around from that misplaced trust so that we will truly trust in God by faith in him. But we also want to prevent this from happening, right? How do we prevent such sin from taking place through impatience? why we need to regularly remind ourselves of who God is and of his faithfulness towards us. And this comes as we hear God's word preached every week. And as we go on to read God's word then and study God's word through the week. And how we come before God expressing our dependence to God in prayer where we commit ourselves to him in praying to him and bringing our questions and our concerns and even our doubts and struggles to God. So we begin here by seeing the danger of misplaced trust. But then as this chapter continues in verses 7 to 15, we go on to see God's merciful grace. The merciful grace we read of here in verses 7 to 15. As verse 7 begins, there's a new person who comes And we read, now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. Now, before we continue, notice how Hagar here becomes a preview of what will later happen to God's people Israel. Remember, Israel too was dealt with harshly by Egypt who mistreated them. And they too fled from their homes to escape into the wilderness. And they too were met by the angel of the Lord in the wilderness. So once Hagar has run into the wilderness, we find her coming to a spring of water where she can find refreshment. And it is at this spring that the angel of the Lord appears. But who is this angel? Angels are messengers of God. But this angel is not just any angel. God himself appears in this world as an angel. As a visible manifestation of God. 
which we see throughout the Old Testament, these, this angel of the Lord, so we, we call them theophanies. Theophanies, here we have a theophany, a appearing of God in a person to Hagar. So in a Hagar's difficult and destitute situation, we see God himself temporarily entering the world to visit Hagar. And notice in verse 7 that he found her. It wasn't an accident that the angel of the Lord came upon Hagar. But God was seeking her out. And she was not looking for him. But he was looking for her. So Hagar here encounters the angel of the Lord, just as Israel also encountered the angel of the Lord in the wilderness. Listen to Exodus 14, verse 19. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So as the angel of the Lord led Israel in the wilderness, now this angel comes to Hagar in the wilderness. And verses 8 to 12 records their conversation. God here begins then by asking Hagar to explain her situation to him. Not because God didn't know already her situation. But because he wants her to be honest with him. And to confess what she has done. Well, Hagar admits that she has left Abram's house. What then does God tell Hagar to do? Return home. Where you will continue living with Abram since you're carrying Abram's child. And you must submit to Sarai as your mistress. But along with God's commands to return to submit, there's a promise that's given to Hagar in verse 10. He says, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. She too will have many descendants. Do you see then how Abram will be the father of many descendants, both elect and non-elect? Both those chosen by God as his people and both those who are not God's people. And what we see here then is that those who are not chosen by God to be his people will still be protected by God and made into a great nation because God cares for all peoples. He looks after all the afflicted and he helps all the poor and the oppressed. God isn't only concerned with his people. God loves all his image bearers, all of humanity, and cares for all. So in these verses, we have recorded for us a wonderful display of God's common grace to all of humanity. God does not only love and care for his chosen people, he is compassionate all people. Well, the angel of the Lord then 
continues by delivering a, a birth announcement to Hagar. Now today we make big deal out of birth announcements, right? We even have gender reveal parties where we'll gather together and uh, maybe you have a cake that's, that the parents cut into and, and the inside's pink or it's blue to say you're having a boy or a girl. Well, here the angel of the Lord is basically announcing the birth and revealing the gender. There's a gender reveal party going on here. What does he say? You shall bear a son. He's to be called Ishmael. Now, the name Ishmael means God hears. He is to be named Ishmael because the Lord has heard her affliction. But we go on to see what kind of son Ishmael will be. Her son will literally be a wild donkey, which describes an uncontrolled and a fierce animal. This kind of lifestyle then is what Ishmael will be known for. So Ishmael will not be the son through whom the nations will be blessed, but he will live independently and in conflict and war with those around him. We also see him then living hostile to Abram's family and his brothers as they live in the promised land. So again, let us consider the consequences of Abraham's attempt to fulfill God's promise by taking it upon himself to carry out God's plan. Here we now have a divided home with the mixed blessing of a multitude of descendants, but many of those will be carrying on Hagar's rebellious spirit through her son, Ishmael. What we find through these words from God and the angel of the Lord is God humbling Hagar as he offers compassion and love to Hagar. How then does Hagar respond? Well, after God speaks to her, she gives him a name. Verse 13, he's, she gives the name, You are the God who sees. Because he has seen her in her situation, and she has seen him in her hardship and plight. Now, don't miss that this is the only place in Scripture where God calls a woman by name. And she is the only person in Scripture who actually gives or confers a name upon God. What's remarkable, then, about Hagar's encounter with God is that through all this, she sees a manifestation of God himself. She lives. She lives. So when she names God, Hagar recognizes his compassion, his care for her, as she has been humbled by God. 
and recognizes it's time for her now to go back and return home to Abram and Sarai. But before she does, she names the well of water that's here at the spring, which reflects Hagar's thankfulness for God's kindness. That spring becomes known as the well of the living one who sees me. Which is what Beer Lahai Roy means. And so as we come to verses 15 and 16, we see how God's announcement came true. Hagar and Abram had a son. And they called his name Ishmael. This then happens when Abram is 86 years old, 11 years after leaving Ur to enter the promised land. But as we consider Hagar's encounter with God at a well, our minds may go to another encounter of God at a well. So if you will turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, where we read of Jesus coming to a woman at the well. And notice, again, the, the parallels between Hagar and the woman at the well. Both are sinful women. Both are outside of Abraham's family. Hagar is an Egyptian, while this woman is a Samaritan. And both are found by God and experience his loving compassion. And we won't read through this entire chapter this morning, but I want us to see these connections through what Jesus says to this woman at the well. So let's read together verses 4 through verse 14. We read, but Jesus needed to go through Samaria, kind of like God found Hagar. Verse 5, so he came to a city of Samaria, Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a, Gentile, or a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. 
So a spring of water comes to represent and symbolize the life that Christ comes to bring through salvation. You see then how what happens in Genesis 16 reveals to us something far greater to come in Jesus Christ. Because through the birth of this son of Abraham, Ishmael, we see glimpses of the need for another birth from Abraham, but from Abraham's chosen seed. Which then brings us to Luke. Let's turn to Luke. Luke chapter 1. Where we come to the announcement of the birth of another son of Abraham. And again, notice the parallels between what we see here in this announcement and what we see in Genesis 16 and the announcement of the birth of Ishmael. So Luke 1, let's actually begin at verse 26 and continue through verse 33. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Did you pick up those parallels? Like Genesis 16, we begin with the greeting of an angel followed by the announcement of a coming birth, and then God's favor expressed with the child's name given together with its meaning and what the child will do in his life. And just like Genesis 16, we go on to see the woman's response, Mary's response in verses 46 to 48, where Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of what? His maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. You see, it's this child, this son of Abraham, Jesus Christ, who fulfills God's promise of salvation. Jesus Christ is the one through whom the God's promises of blessing to the nations will come. Because in Jesus Christ, God 
becomes man. He becomes one of us to then live the life we refuse to live in our sin. And then takes upon himself the very judgment of God we deserve as God's wrath is poured out against him. And he is nailed to the cross and suffers under the curse of death in our place. So you see, it's as we have faith in Christ and trust in what Christ has done for us. We are saved from what our sin deserves. That we are forgiven of our sins by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That we are reconciled with God. And that we receive eternal life, everlasting life to enjoy in God's presence forever. Christ overcame the curse of sin. Death itself when he rose from the dead with resurrection life. And it is this life we will receive when Jesus returns, and it's this life we already are given when we believe in Christ by confessing our sins in repentance and coming to Christ by faith. Christ, then, is the one who fulfills God's promise of salvation for us. But if we really want to come to an understanding of what God meant in Genesis 16, there's one more passage of scripture we need to look at this morning. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, and together we'll read verses 21 to 31. Because the Apostle Paul here interprets this event from Abraham's life for us. And then he applies it to our lives. It's always good when we have a passage from the New Testament revealing to us what the passage from the Old Testament means. And it's exactly what we have here in Galatians 4. So here, Paul is writing to the church of Galatia. And he goes back and refers to Genesis 16. Let's read then Galatians 4, verses 21 to 31. Paul writes, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise which things are symbolic, or they're an allegory. They represent or symbolize truths. What are they? Let's continue reading. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. 
For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Do you see then how Hagar and Sarah represent two covenants? The old covenant given by Moses to Israel on Mount Sinai of the law. And Sarah then represents the new covenant, which comes through Christ and is received by faith. These result then in two cities with the earthly Jerusalem, which remains under the law, and its condemnation for their sin, and the heavenly Jerusalem, which has come by promise, and is the place where all those live by faith in Christ. Do we see then, like Abraham, working to keep God's law and carry out God's word, can't save us, but it can only condemn us in our sinfulness. And our justification before God is received by faith. It's not earned by our works. One then was a slave while the other was free. So I ask you this morning, is your mother Hagar or is she Sarah? Is your life one where you are depending on yourself for your life and for your future through what you do? Listen, that is simply the way of bondage. And that will result ultimately in the judgment of God to come. But Christ has opened the opportunity for all of us to become children of Sarah. Those who are the chosen of God to receive. God's promised blessings. So is your mother Hagar? Or is she Sarah? Are you a descendant of Ishmael? Living according to the flesh in your sin? Or are you the son of the promised child to come? Isaac and ultimately Christ. Through which salvation is provided. If you are living without Christ, 
You are an Ishmaelite with Hagar as your mother. But Christ is speaking to you today, offering himself in love so that you can be saved from his judgment and receive the gift of everlasting life. Believe in Christ. Come to Christ. Confess your sins and trust in God's promise of salvation. It's been accomplished through Jesus Christ. What then have we learned from Abraham and Sarah's impatience? That we must not trust in our works. We must trust in God's promises. Do not trust in your works. But trust in God's promises. Because God's word is faithful and true. And we have no reason to doubt his word, even as we wait. As we wait for the fullness of his blessings to come while living in a world that remains under the curse and corruption of sin. Let us wait patiently, not impatiently, because our God is faithful and true. And our future in Christ is sure. Let us pray. Father, may all of us see through Sarai and Hagar. the two ways that we can live in this world. And may you cause each and every one of us to wrestle with how we are living. Father, may none of us continue living as sons of Hagar, as Ishmaelites. But may all of us Be those who are sons of Sarah, the chosen seed of promise, which is ultimately found in our Savior Jesus Christ. May we look to Christ by faith and be saved, and may our salvation continue by looking to Christ and not by growing impatiently with whatever may happen in this world. May we constantly remain focused through the strength of your Holy Spirit on the gospel of Jesus Christ, which gives us a sure and steadfast hope of the salvation that is all of grace and given to us freely out of love through Jesus Christ. We ask all these things then in the name of
your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ.